Indeed, we rejoice as he leads us through the midst of this world. As we come today, let us take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And just in case you're wondering, uh, fathers, what kind of gifts a six-month-old gives, uh, it indeed was a blessing this morning that he didn't have a shirt or a tie. He had gone all the way to Lowe's and gotten some power tools. So what a blessing that was. I, I was so excited to see that. And uh I'm glad he has good taste and he's gotten something that he and his dad can work together with in the years to come. As we come this morning, I want to talk to you about false teachers and flawed doctrine and and flawed teaching. Indeed, we could have called this message prophets for profit or religion for rewards, whatever you want to call it. But the fact is there are false teachers who have flawed teaching that are deceiving many within our world. Indeed, throughout history, deadly epidemics have ravaged humanity and humbled us to remember that we are not ultimately in control of all the occurrences of our world. In the 14th century, Black Death, the bubonic plague, killed millions in Europe. Cholera, diphtheria, malaria, and other sicknesses have ravaged cities, towns, and entire countries through the course of human history. In the 20th and 21st centuries, the world of technology has been unable to stop or eradicate the deadly outbreaks of AIDS and cancer all around us. And yet, for the deplorable destruction of sickness and disease within humanity, the reality is that false teachers and their flawed spiritual teachings are more dangerous to humanity than all of these diseases combined. False teachers and their flawed teachings are more dangerous to humanity than all of these deadly diseases combined. What in the world, Pastor? How could you possibly say that? Well, the threat of the bodily disease is that it might kill the physical body. But the threat of the false teachers and their flawed teaching is that their teachings will indeed damn the soul eternally. I don't know about you, but I would be rather I would rather be absent from the body and safe and secure with the Lord than to be present in the body and not have any hope of living with him in heaven. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus reminds us, do not fear those who kill the body, but who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Religious false teachers down through the centuries have known something in common, namely that religion can be fun and profitable, at least for themselves. They can make a business out of religion. They have proved that you can actually make a very good living in the religion business. Some like Reverend Ike. Anybody remember Reverend Ike on the TV? I see a few hands. A few of you remember those late night shows or listening to him on AM radio as I did grow, hearing him growing up and promptly turning him off. But some, like Reverend Ike, who died in 2009, openly flaunt their materialism and greed. In fact, his creed was, I don't want pie in the sky when I die. I want cash in the stash now. And that's how he lived his life. My money loves my pockets, even to the expense that he would go and he would pass, uh, as Pastor Ted was telling me this morning, that he would actually pass around a garbage collection, uh, a garbage basket at collection time. And if it wasn't full, he'd send it around again until they did fill it up. Indeed. 
Reverend Ike, when asked how much uh, his church was worth, he said a lot of money. This is a very successful, prosperous, multi-million dollar operation, and I'm very happy to say that. He also claimed not to even know his own personal salary, and he explained it in this way. It's whatever I need. Indeed, that's a sad commentary, but there are those within our day who are just as virulent as Reverend Ike. Others who are promoting the so-called word of faith movement, teaching of the health and wealth gospel, the name it and claim it people that say that it's God's will for all of God's people to be financially successful and physically healthy all the time. This is a heresy from the pits of hell and must be rejected. For indeed, these people are pillaging the poor and they are, and the unsuspecting so that they can live in the lap of luxury. They quote verses out of the Bible, out of context, to back up their teaching and flaunt their own wealth as proof positive that their points are right. But we need to understand this is not the truth of God's Word. And so when men like Jim Baker, Benny Hinn, Paula White, Robert Tilton, and Creflo Dollar come on the TV, we need to turn them off. We need to turn them off because they are spewing a false teaching and a false teaching and flawed thinking. Indeed, these men exploit others financially on the basis of spirituality for their own personal gain and and enjoyment. Indeed, they say, why don't you just sow a seed? Why don't you give so that you can get? And yet that's not the attitude God calls for among his people, is it? He says, you give to me because I have first given to you. I have given you life. I have given you redemption. I have given you salvation in Jesus Christ. You do not give so that you can get. You give because you have received. Indeed, in verses 3 through 5, Paul gives an answer for Timothy in the church at Ephesus and the church of our day as well to diagnose the false teachers and their flawed teaching. These men who are charlatans, hucksters, and prostitutes of our pulpits should not be tolerated. And though this is not a comprehensive answer because that would require us developing a thorough understanding of the entirety of Bible, the Bible, which should be our great goal, this is an answer that exposed the false teachers in Ephesus And if we would take heed of these words, it would keep many unsuspecting people in our own day from falling into following the false teachers and their flawed teachings. The false teachers and their flawed teachings. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 and stand as we read together in honor of this God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, the false teachers and their flawed teaching. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that God Godliness is a means of gain. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited 
and understands nothing. Father, we ask that you would allow us not to be prideful, not to be boastful, not to be conceited, but Father, that you would allow us to be humble. Father, that we would not rely upon ourselves and our uh, self-preservation, but Father, we would rely upon you and your salvation that flows through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, that our message and our ministry would be about the things of your kingdom and not the things of our kingdom. And Lord, this morning, that as we study your word, you would bring it to bear upon our souls, that you would illuminate our understanding, and Father, allow us to live differently as a result of hearing and studying the word of the living God. Father, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, we see that we are to be on guard against false teachers and their flawed teaching by testing to see whether they are consumed with gain or godliness. We are to be on guard because there are those who have come in who have crept into the church and they are false teachers with flawed teachings who are and we should test them to see whether they are consumed with earthly gain or eternal godliness. That should be the test that we put them to. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which we studied just last year, it says this, but what I am, Paul says, but what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their deeds. He says, listen, Satan disguises himself as a, uh, as a servant of light, and we should not be surprised if there are some who creep into the church who are false teachers with flawed doctrine that are seeking to deceive and draw away men after them, their own self for their own personal gain and not for the purpose of godliness. Indeed, we see within this passage that every leader and person within the church should be a spiritual pathologist. You should be a spiritual pathologist. I should be a spiritual pathologist. I should be able to discern the deviations from the doctrine of true scripture. Indeed, sound doctrine, spiritually healthy doctrine, is not focused on personal gain, either for the student or for the teacher. But rather, it is focused on godliness for both. Of course, godliness is actually a uh, means of great gain, as Paul is quick to point out in verse 6. But understand, in these verses in 3 through 5, Paul is talking about the gain of selfish self-seeking and personal fulfillment. It is using religion for selfish ends. In other words, these are prophets for profit. They are practicing religion for rewards. They are false teachers with flawed teachings, and they should be rejected wholeheartedly first of all we see in verse 3 that false teachers promote gain through wrong conduct false teachers promote gain through wrong conduct 
Paul begins by warning of those that would teach a different doctrine, a different teaching than that of Jesus Christ. Anyone who teaches with words that do not agree with the sound words of wisdom that flow from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the doctrine that leads to godliness are to be rejected. The content of their teaching was contrary to God's truth and therefore it is error. God's word has not been mistaken. They are mistaken and so they are to be rejected. Indeed, we are seeing here in 1 Timothy 6 exactly what we have said through the rest of 1 Timothy that doctrine matters. Doctrine matters because our beliefs are reflected in our behavior. And our behavior reflects our true beliefs. Indeed, Jonathan Edwards rightly observed, the ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. The ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Indeed, your beliefs reflect in your behavior. Your behavior reflects your true beliefs. And what you believe always affects how you behave. Satan be, uh, and always begins his attacks through our minds and through attacking uh, our thinking. Wrong theology and wrong thinking lead to wrong living. And that's exactly expressly what Paul is saying in this passage. And yet it is so sad because we live in a day of anti-theology. We live in a day when even churches rant and rave and say, oh, yeah, we do. We have such a wonderful church because we're not into all that theology stuff. You better be into theology. Theology is just this, the study of God. You better study God because you cannot know him otherwise. Indeed, what happens within those churches who do not focus on theology when hard times come. Indeed, when finances fall and cancer comes and marriages crumble. What in the world do the people do? Well, it's obvious they're fleeing the doors left and right. Because the church has not provided them a solid foundation on which to stand. These churches emphasize management, methodology, and technique over spirituality. they concern is nickels, noses, and noise, and it is not the spiritual realm that they are concerned about. They analyze their target audience, then they go about designing church programs so that they might attract a specific demographic, a defined, demographically defined group of the population by meeting felt needs and instead of presenting the gospel. But as seminary professor James Mean argues, every great movement and ministry in Christendom has been fueled, no driven by theology, not by hot new technology or technique. Every great movement of Christianity, every true movement within the Christian faith throughout human history has been driven by theology and not by technique or technology. Indeed, we need to understand that we are to be God-focused, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven in all of our ministry. And I believe that that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was exactly right when he said preaching ought to be theology on fire. Theology on fire. 
And we ought to be serious about studying theology. So we must not only know God's truth, but we must also recognize God's truth within the teaching that we hear. Indeed, this is why you shouldn't come in and shut your mind off at the door. You shouldn't check your mind at the door. You should come and think and read and and participate within the worship service in many churches of our day. Heresy wholeheartedly would get a hearty amen if it was said with the right zeal and bravado. That is to our disgrace, church, because we come in the church and we just sit down and we don't even think about what the pastor's saying. Man, he's so long, he's boring. Good gracious, when are we going to get out of here? When are we going to go to lunch? The doctrine. The truth of the Scriptures ought to shed light on our lives and it ought to transform us. Indeed, it is to our shame that heresy would get a hearty amen from many of the pulpits within our nation if it was said with the right bravado and zeal and because there is more concern within our pews about the right technique of a golf swing than the right theology that flows out of the pulpit. Should not be that way, church. Guard yourself against this. Make sure you can recognize those who may contradict the claims of Scripture and those who may differ from the words of Christ and the call to godliness that we see. Indeed, false teaching takes many forms. They may deny the existence of God altogether. They may defy His nature, His authority, and His supremacy within life. They may deny the Trinity. They may reject Jesus Christ, deity, virgin birth, His sinless perfection, His substitutionary death, on the cross of Calvary, His bodily glorious resurrection and His imminent return. They may refute the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. They may refuse authenticity, authority and inspiration and inerrancy of Holy Scripture. These men are to be silenced and not to be listened to. Indeed, to spot the carriers of spiritual disease, we must be well grounded in Scripture ourselves, which reveals exactly what God intended to say in exactly the way God intended to say it for exactly the purposes God intended it. We need to understand that the Word of God is all about God. It's not a story about us. It's a story about God and how He works. Those who know God's truth will easily spot contradictions to it and refute and refuse those that spread their venomous and virulent teaching. In our day, the focus of much of our theology is on ourselves and on man instead of the sovereign God. We believe that God exists to serve us and to supply us with stuff. God is seen as nothing more than a spiritual genie that provides us happiness, access through the spiritual rubbing of His lamp that we call prayer. Let us be honest. How much do we pray? How diligently do we pray? Do we treat God as though He were a spiritual journey, genie to be accessed through the spiritual rubbing upon His lamp that we call prayer? Or do we take all of our requests to God? Do we take every part of our life to God consistently, constantly asking for His will to be done? Indeed, we have, a, we have people who have problems and problems crop up and people say to them, well, you ought to try God. You ought to try prayer as if He's just one of Baskin Robbins 31 flavors pick whichever one you'd like and take it it's not the God of the Bible 
It's not the truth of the word. Indeed, he will not, it's not promised within the word that you will be health, healthy, happy, and wealthy all the days of your life. For it is given to every man once to die and then the judgment. You know what that tells me? Every man dies. I haven't seen any 200 year old prophets of those health and wealth gospels, name it and claim it gospels. Why? Because they're not true. But we tell people, well, try God and He will meet all your needs and give you a happy life. The emphasis is on man's needs rather than God's glory. You have a guy, and here's how it works out in our day. You have a guy who has lived a self-centered, sinful, and sin-filled life. Then a personal tragedy strikes, and he wonders what in the world can he do. His response is immediately, how could a loving God treat me like this? How could a loving God let this happen to me? He's saying these things. As if God exists for him and him alone. If God exists, he should be here to serve me and to make me happy. It doesn't matter that God is sovereign and that I have sinned and I deserve rightly his judgment and his justice. All that matters is me. And right now I'm I'm in a jam. And so God, if you don't get me out of this jam, I'm not going to serve you anymore. You ever said that? Have you ever said that? Haven't there been moments in your life where you've been tempted to say, God, if you don't get me out right now, I won't serve you anymore? That is contrary to God's word. Indeed, that wrong theology puts God as abstract and at our command and control, at our whim. Man is central. No, God is central within the course of Scripture. And man is the one who operates under God's commands. That wrong theology shows in his belief through his behavior that when hard times come, he rejects and refuses the living God because his comfort and convenience has been compromised. See, sound doctrine flows from Jesus Christ, who was the express image of God's glory revealed in human form. Even in his suffering, Jesus prayed, glorify the Son that the Son might glorify you, Father. So his purpose was to live for the Father's glory. Even in the midst of death, facing death, he was praying that God would be glorified by his life and by his death. His belief reflected in his behavior of being willing to be obedient even unto death death on the cross as a common criminal so that he might suffer and die and receive the penalty of your sins and my sin upon himself so that indeed we might be forgiven and set free from the penalty and power of sin within our lives and the question this morning do our lives do our lives look more like one of comfort and convenience that compromises the gospel or do they look like We are following Jesus Christ, suffering hardship and persecution and all sorts of evil so that we might rejoice and glorify God in everything that we experience. Sound theology does not center on man and his circumstances. Sound theology centers on God and his eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. Indeed, godliness is the means of conduct in line with God and his revealed truth. For false teachers promote gain through wrong content and not godliness. But not only do they promote gain through wrong contents, but false teachers promote gain through wrong motives. Gain through wrong motives. Paul now turns to the attitude of the false teachers, and they are filled with conceit and pride. That's what he says there 
there in verse 4, he is conceited and understands nothing. I love how, uh, how it says it in Philip's uh, paraphrase of this passage. It says that if anyone tries to teach some doctrinal novelty which is not compatible with sound teaching, which we base on Christ's own words and which leads to Christ-like living, then he is a conceited idiot. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? He's a conceited idiot. Do you know any conceited idiots? I take that back. Don't answer that question. Here's the reality. These men were full of conceit and pride. These men apparently went to great lengths to expand the nuances of various words and to give their insights on controversial questions of their day. But Paul says they acted out of pride and ignorance, not understanding anything. They loved a following. They wanted power and they wanted popularity. They thrived on being up front, displaying their knowledge and being experts in anything, everything while they were really knowers of nothing this wrong motive of pride is tied up once again in man-centered theology that i mentioned just a moment ago for false teaching starts with man centers on man and ends with man at its core indeed the reason it thrives is because of our sin because we are all prone to exalt ourselves against God and to accept any teaching that t- makes us feel good about ourselves without ever confronting our sin. And so when Joel Osteen said on Larry King Live that he didn't bother with sin or talk about sin very much, what was he exposing? He was exposing that he is a false teacher with flawed teachings. I don't like that, Pastor. He smiles real pretty. Yes, but do you listen to the words that come out of his mouth? We need to test these things and see whether they are true. You cannot have salvation until you come to confront your sin. Indeed, we don't want to be stripped of our self-reliance within our independent culture to admit that we are lost and destitute in and of ourselves unless God is so gracious to reach down and to move us to repentance and faith. Indeed, we must understand it is God's grace that moves us to serve Him and not we ourselves. Charles Simeon had three aims in his preaching and I believe he's exactly right. Number one, he said, I aim to humble the sinner. Number two, to exalt the Savior. And number three, to promote personal holiness within the life of the Christian. Said, my aim is to humble the sinner so that he can see his sin and see his shame and see his need for God's Savior. My number two purpose is to exalt the Savior so that he might humble himself and submit himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, because he has seen his sin, submitted himself to Jesus Christ, that he would go forward living differently so that his outward life reflects the inward salvation experience through jesus christ that's what we ought to be about that ought to be the message for there is one central theme about the message that it is consistently within biblical theology centered in and finishing with the person and work of jesus christ indeed biblical theology does not start with man grow in man and build up man it starts with jesus christ it moves through the person and work of jesus christ and it ends with jesus christ being praised to the glory of god forever indeed one of the central facts of the gospel is that no man would be able to boast who is a christian 
Why? Because then it would be about us and about what we have done and not about who God is and what he has done for us. And so Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God and not of man lest anyone should boast. Not about you and what you have done. If you think it is this morning, then I challenge whether you are indeed a Christian or not. Well, Pastor, I saved myself. I turned myself around. I got myself clean. No, 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 no. Jesus cleans you up or you're not clean at all. Indeed, when we understand the gospel, we can only sing with gratitude in our hearts. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me find myself in thee. Paul shows that false teachers promote gain through wrong content and wrong motives. They are not God-focused, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven. They are self-focused, self-centered, self, uh, and self-driven. Next, we see, thirdly this morning, we see false teachers promote gain through wrong conduct. They promote gain through wrong conduct. Out of the man's wrong con- content and wrong motives develop wrong conduct. Conduct, pride leads to envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of depraved mind who are deprived of the truth. This is a description of those who have filled themselves all about themselves and not about God. Their conduct stems from their motives since they promote themselves more than Christ. They're competitive towards others. Well, we're bigger than that church. We're better than that church. We've got more than this. We do this better than anybody else. Listen, It is not a competition within the kingdom of Christ for all of us are under his watch and authority. It is his church and not ours. So let us not be quick to be contentious and competitive with other churches in our area. Let us pray that the gospel might go forward from each of us so that we might see salvation spread across all of Goldsboro and Wayne County. Listen, these people, they put down others to build themselves up. They were always engaged in controversy. Their goal was not to build up Christ's kingdom, but to build up their own kingdom. And so they dominated people through intimidation rather than shepherding people out of grace. And love as under shepherds of the great high shepherd. See, this does not mean that there should not be a pointing out of ill-flated, flawed teachings and false teachers. I wasn't out of line to mention all of those that I mentioned a while ago because Paul is doing exactly that, expressly that within these verses. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he says that one of the qualifications for elders within God's church is that they ought to be not only able to exhort in sound doctrine, but to refute those who contradict. Church, I love you too much not to say something about someone who is false, a false teacher with false teachings. Well, pastor, why in the world do you point out all these people? I point them out because I love you. Because I don't want you to go down the path that Nancy Reagan did back in the 80s after President Reagan was shot when she turned to a psychic, to an a, a astrological uh, consultant to tell her how to handle and deal with these things. Turning away from the faith of Christ to to embrace astrology, it is almost, I, I mean, it's repulsive. 
But let us each be warned that each of us could be in that place if we are not careful in guarding ourselves. See, the difference between Paul's methods and those, the methods of the false teachers was that Paul's attacks on false doctrine were not self-centered or self-preserving, whereas the false teachers were self-promoting. Indeed, Paul wasn't out for personal glory to make a name for himself. He wanted to make the name of Jesus Christ great. He was in completely on board with God's truth, and he was wanted to make sure that it stayed central on the gospel. Indeed, Paul agreed and could honestly say with John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that must be our attitude as well, that we are not the ends, uh, in, the means to the ends or the ends in and of itself. We are simply sinners redeemed by the grace of God, saved by his grace and for his glory. Indeed, Paul had the good of God's flock in mind whenever he confronted error, whenever we must correct error or confront false teachers. And we need to examine our hearts and root out any pride or self-seeking to make sure our goal is biblical love and the growth of God's gospel kingdom. Indeed, false teachers promote gain through wrong content, wrong motives, and wrong conduct. But finally this morning, they promote gain through wrong values. Look at the end of verse 5, and I want to challenge you to think about your life at this point. These men suppose that godliness is a means of gain. See, they're out for a religion of rewards. They think, I need to sow a seed into God's kingdom so that he'll sow a seed in my kingdom. I need to give in order to get, and that is entirely contradictory to the Word of God, that these false teachers were living for material values instead of spiritual values. They treasured the earthly above the eternal. Instead of being prophets of God, they were prophets for profit. They were making a profit on God. Indeed, apparently they were living off their ministries and they were doing very well and flaunting it all over the place. Look how much we have. Look how well we have done. Look how much other people have invested in our ministries. We must be of the truth. Isn't this great? They were right in line with Reverend Ike. I don't want pie in the sky, heaven when I die. I want a cash in the stash now. Let's be truthful. That is very tempting in this world. To say, God, I'm giving to you in order that you might give back to me. I'm giving to get. I'm, uh, I'm practicing religion for a reward. But that is not scriptural. Paul has just shown that indeed it is proper to pay a man who labors in the gospel to be adequately supported by the gospel. But it is wrong for a man in the ministry to focus on money or to profiteer from the gospel. And so when I see these guys selling no evil oil and ba- little handkerchiefs that they have touched and prayed over on TV, shut it off. Turn it off. Don't give them a dime. Don't give them a dime. They are not true prophets. They are prophets for profit. When they say, send us an atonement offering, tell them God has offered the one and only atonement that could ever be paid for sin. Jesus Christ, and that is it. It's wrong for not just preachers to have a love of money, 
but it is wrong for all believers to live for this world's values and not for God's values. For in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you have the love of the Father in you today or the love of the world? Which do you seek and serve, your own selfish kingdom or the Savior's kingdom? Indeed, we must ask ourselves these questions and we must come to understand that we can most often spot a false teacher by his wrong values. And if he is living for the things of this world, there ought to be a red flag that runs up that flagpole. See, Paul's saying here that those who promote gain rather than godliness are not from the Lord. They may do it for the wrong con- with the wrong content, wrong motives, wrong conduct, or wrong values, but they serve money and not the Messiah. Whatever their issue, their belief is reflected in their behavior as they pursue personal gain, not godliness. They have a commitment to convenience and comfort, not to Christ. They have a love for themselves and their stuff, not God's Savior. Maybe you're wondering, well, Pastor, doesn't God promise to meet our needs? Well, the answer is a conditional yes. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But you must understand and be honest. What are you seeking most of all today? Are you seeking earthly gain or God's eternal glory? Are you seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ or are you just playing the game so that you can say, feel good about yourself in your heart? See, if you're seeking first personal happiness or gain, then you're deluded if you think you, for one moment, are saved and going to heaven. See, you're not, just in, you're not into... Serving God and living in His righteousness. You're into having religion and playing for fun and for profit. And our culture is consumed with this. And let me say this it's not just our culture, our church is consumed with this as well. We have people that are more concerned with their personal gain and their bank accounts than they are with God's kingdom and his eternal bank account. They're storing up all their treasure here in this world and they are seeking themselves and serving themselves here and now. And let me promise you, that's the greatest reward you will ever get because you won't for a moment know the glory of God's holy kingdom. My plea with you this morning is that you would turn away from seeking yourself and your stuff you would turn away from seeking yourself and your gain and that you would seek God's Savior and that you would give him your heart your life all of who you are for all of who he wants you to be and trust that when you live by faith he will straighten out your past this morning I call you not to live for gain Not to live for earthly gain. You live for eternal godliness. And you watch and see what God is able to do within your life. As you make your life not about yourself, but about God's Savior. Father, we ask now that as we close this time, 
Father, you would draw us to yourself. Father, that you would convict us of the places where we are self-centered and self-serving. Father, the places where we are seeking our own earthly personal gain over your eternal glory. And Father, over eternal godliness within our lives. Lord, let us be convicted. Let us be moved to repentance. Let us be moved to increasingly being submitted to you so that you might live through us. Father, this morning, if there is someone who is here who knows that they are out of line, they are living with the wrong motives, for the wrong reasons, with the wrong conduct, Father, I pray that this morning they would surrender their hearts and life to you. And Father, that they would live for your glory and your glory alone. Father, I pray that those of us who are believers would stop seeking ourselves and submit ourselves fully to God. And that we would set the example of what it means to live not for the gain in this world, but for the godliness that will benefit us most in the world that is yet to come. May you lead us now as we lay down our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together this morning for our hymn of invitation. If you have a decision that you would like to make this morning, if you...